Good morning. The scripture reading for today is Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Be careful not to do good deeds in front of other people. Don't do those deeds to be seen by others. If you do, your Father in heaven will not reward you. When you give to needy people, do not announce it by having trumpets blown. Do not be like those who only pretend to be holy. They announce what they do in the synagogues and on the streets. They want to be honored by other people. What I'm about to tell you is true. They have received their complete reward. When you give to needy people, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Then your giving will be done secretly. Your father will reward you because he sees what you do secretly. All right. Good morning. Everybody good? Everybody ready? You guys sound excited. I've never heard people clap for announcements before. I've never heard that. I think they were just glad that you did it quickly. They're like, good, thank you. Moving on. Um, yeah, marriage conference coming up. And uh, I was told to give it the Tommy plug. Um, do come to the marriage conference. I'm speaking. There's someone else speaking. Um, and uh, it's like an all-day thing. Last, last year we did it, and it was like really good. Opened our eyes to a lot of things that actually me and my wife have been bringing up a lot over the last year. So, um, Yeah. Come do that. This is the second year we've ever done that. And uh, every year you do come, it'll get better. And every year you don't come, it'll get a little worse. So come. <laughs> um, but there's a, uh, we have a website you can register at. It's like marriageoneday.com something. Google, Google it. Okay. So uh, my name's Tommy. I'm the pastor here. And I'm, uh, I'm teaching Matthew chapter 6 today. I switched over to the NIRV today. Um, it's, there was a lot. I, I got tired of correcting, correcting the ESV. Um, but uh, um, the, the NIRV does a, a really good sort of translation of, of sort of the rest of this. Um, and uh, so today we're talking about giving, which first off I want to pause and say thank you guys for all the giving that you did last week. Um, our lobby was full of, of uh, relief supplies from the hurricane. Um, current came early in the week, picked it up, took it... Um, the well came later, picked up some more stuff, and took that, and it's been dispersed, and I believe we're still going and still doing a few more for maybe a couple more weeks. So continue to bring supplies, and it'll continue to be helpful. There's still people out there suffering and recovering from all of that. Um, and also, for those of you who stepped up last week, I made it known, like, we got super low in our checking account because of lots of stuff going on, um, hurricane and, and giving plummeted and all kinds of stuff. And a lot of people stepped up and helped it sort of bring it back up to almost where it should be. So that was very great. Thank you very, very much. Sleeping a little better. Um, and uh, I'm asking that, um, so that, because that kind of happens every year around the same time. So I'm asking that maybe instead of like waiting for that to happen next year, maybe we all just give a little bit here and there. So that's at 5, 10, 15, 20 bucks a month, just um, for of you, some of you who aren't doing anything and don't know what to do, that, do that. That would really help. We're not funded by any outside groups. Um, we're completely self-sufficient, self-sustained, and we, in fact, send lots of money out to lots of groups all over the world and in our own city. So, um, okay. I guess let's talk about giving for another 45 minutes. I'm sorry. That's, I didn't plan this. I didn't plan about... I didn't plan for there to be a hurricane and a drop in income right before I talk about giving. It's almost like someone else did that. Okay, let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you for these people in this place. Thank you for the spirit um, in this room. Thank you for uh, the joy and love that we have for each other. 
Um, I ask that you would guide us, that you would equip us for, for everything that you are preparing us to do. Um, I ask that right now that you would allow us to be present here with you, with our brothers and sisters. Uh, teach us, reveal to us new things we haven't seen. Reveal to us the mindset with which um, we should look at other people and, and, uh, and, and the mindset with which we should look at you. Help us to receive everything in life as a gift. Help us to give everything in life as if it is, it is, uh, is a gift to you. Um, and uh, let us do it from a place of love, not law. A place of empathy and compassion, not religion. Um, and uh, let us find abundance in all of that and meaning and purpose as we, uh, as we become generous people. Thank you for your words. Thank you for preserving them for thousands of years so that we could sit here and study them and understand um, these ancient people's view of, of you as they understand you through Jesus. Um, thank you. Be with us. Help me to remember the things that I've studied and communicate clearly. Uh, we love you. Amen. Okay, so a few weeks ago, maybe you noticed, maybe you didn't, I skipped one verse. Uh, it was during the week we talked about turning the other cheek and going the extra mile, all that stuff. There was a verse at the end of chapter 5, verse 42, that we read it, but I didn't talk about it because I wanted to like, take it, put it in my pocket, and bring it to today's passage, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, and then pull it back out and say, see, these all go together, okay? Um, and I'm going to read this. And I'm going to take a moment, I'm going to talk about um, the ancient Jewish community's uh, view of giving and generosity and what they did for each other. So the verse goes like this, Matthew 5, 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, um, uh, there is this, there was a time when the Jewish law on giving was being lived out. And it was beautiful. Um, it was a time that, that theologians and scholars call the Second Temple period. The Second Temple, um, it's after exile, um, and it, it was rebuilt. And it's the temple you think of that Jesus went um, and took part in the worship there. Um, it was the temple that was standing in the time of Christ. It was destroyed in like 70 AD by the Romans when, they were, um, when the Jews rose up in rebellion against them. Now, um, in the Second Temple period, at the very beginning of this thing, there was this excitement and this passion um, for worship again, because finally they found themselves gathering as, as God's people under one roof, um, doing the sacrifices, and they, they had this passion and this love and this newness for giving and, and generosity and, and loving each other. Um, and over time, that sort of waned and it sort of changed. But when it started, it was incredibly beautiful, and it was all centered around one particular passage in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 15, Verse 7 through 11. I, I, I shaved out some parts because it's very long, and I'm just going to read this for you. Uh, it says this. Uh, if there is any among you, I'm sorry, if there is among you anyone in need, a member of your community in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God has give, is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need. Remember that idea of lending here. We're going to come back to that. Um, and, and whatever it may be, do not entertain evil thoughts thinking the seventh year, the year of remission is near and therefore, uh, view your needy neighbor with hostility and give nothing to your, that nothing, your neighbor might cry out to the Lord against you and you would incur guilt. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so for on this account, the Lord, your God will bless you in all your work, uh, in all that you undertake. 
Open your hand to the poor and the needy neighbor in your land. So, there's a few things here. If someone asks you to lend them money, you would give it to them. Um, And I want to focus in on, uh, we're going to talk about the lending some more in a minute. I want to focus on one particular part. I'm underlying it here. It says, uh, it talks about this thing called the seventh year, the year of remission. And it says, when we approach the year of remission, um, don't stop lending because you're afraid they won't pay you back. Now, this is a an ancient Jewish tradition that the people celebrated. It's the Sabbath year festival. It's called the Shemitah, and it means simply the year of release. Um, over and over again, there, in scriptures, there, in, in the Old Testament especially, there is a, a heavy em- emphasis on the idea of bondage and what it is like to be in bondage. Uh, many of you are in heavy debt, um, and there is the sense in which you feel that and you're in bondage. It's going to take a long time to work your way out of it. Um, and in the ancient world, it was no different, except they had sort of fail-safes in the community to keep the people free. Every seven years, several things would happen. Um, in the same way that every seven days, there would be a Sabbath where nobody would work, not even the cows would pull a plow. Um, in the seventh year, there would be a year of Sabbath, a year of release, the Shemitah, where the land would not be plowed. It, would, it would, was called life fallow. Uh, nothing would be planted um, not, not a tool would touch the whole field. Um, and there would be this uh, day, particular day where they would celebrate a festival and all debts would be forgiven in the entire community. Anyone who owed anything to anyone else, it would be as if they owed nothing. And everyone was free from all bondage, all debts. And you think, what a great idea. We should write that and we should... Well, this was a specific thing um, that was part of this community um, to assist them sort of remember the kind of people God wants them to be. They wanted, God wants them to be people that are setting others free and receiving freedom themselves. Um, and so from this particular uh, passage in Deuteronomy chapter 15, um, there was this whole system of laws that would, that would come or principles that the rabbis would gather in the first temple, uh, in the second temple period and give to the people that would govern how they would interact with each other as far as giving and lending went. Um, and there's a particular passage here where, where it says, don't entertain evil thoughts thinking the year of remission is coming so I'm not going to lend. This would be the calculating person who says, well, this is the sixth year. If I lend to this person who is asking me for money, they may not pay me back. And so I'm not going to lend to them. Or I may just lie to them and say, I don't have any money. When right before it, it says, um, open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need. Because in the ancient times, you wouldn't just take out a loan to start a business. Uh, You would maybe take out a loan to purchase a segment of a field where you would plant and sow and reap crops to provide for the people um, that counted on you for life. Uh, This was sort of, if somebody came to you in the sixth year knowing that the seventh year, the Shemitah was coming, uh, they were probably desperate. In the back of your mind, there might be a thought that they're taking advantage of me and they're not going to pay me back. Um, But more than likely, they're desperate. And it says, yes, willingly give to them. Anyone who asks, you lend. And so when Jesus quotes this, give to the one who begs from you, do not refuse from the one who would borrow from you. In verse 42, he's referencing this ancient set of laws. I want to work through, there's five laws. I'm going to work through them uh, before we really get into our passage today. Um, Five principles 
uh, rabbinical principles for giving. And, and I want you to see these because there's this heart, there's this posture, and there's this mindset with which the people lived. So first off, it starts off, the first rule is uh, giving must not be refused. Um, in the ancient world, life was very fragile. There was not banks where you would save up this money. There was not necessarily um, these storehouses that would keep your food able to be eaten for a long, long time. They didn't have any kind of technologies that we have. And it was likely that every single year would be different and that one year some people would be beggars and the very next year those same people might be the ones who are lending. Um, And likewise, the same people maybe in year one who are the lenders and people are coming to them to give loans, you would give to them because the very next year you may find yourself in the position of the one begging for money. And so there was this sense that we are in this together. We like to say that today, we're all in this together, but in the ancient world, there really was this literal sense that they were in this thing together, and they cared about each other, and so they always took care of each other in this way. Uh, Rule number two was, giving must befit the status of the person to whom the gift is given. Um, I want you to focus on that for a second. must befit the status. In the ancient world, uh, things were not like they are now necessarily as it pertains to social ladders. You would be born into a specific social ladder, and you would stay there forever. And it was this thing that was accepted. People didn't necessarily argue against it. Um, And there was this sense in which people high up on the ladder, when they fell into poverty, um, you wouldn't treat them the same way that you would treat everyone else on every other social ladder. Um, Because to do so, um, though it would be fair and quote-unquote just, it would be shameful. They would feel the weight of shame. And, and the laws in the ancient Old Testament are, are set up in a way to minimize feeling shame. Because one thing that happens when people fall into need, oftentimes they also fall into shame. And the community of God is supposed to be a place uh, where shame is not something that is felt. Shame is not something that we, that we push onto other people. Um, shame is not helpful in the kingdom of God because it speaks to your own identity. And it, and it lies to you about who you actually are. Um, And so there's these stories that you can find um, in ancient rabbinical traditions. There's one of them in the Hillel, uh, Jewish Hillel rabbinical tradition, of of this young boy who was being raised to be a nobleman. And he was a nobleman's son, and he was being raised and groomed to have a position in the community that was respectful and that was guiding, and he was being educated and sort of trained to be this particular person in, in a way that only this, this person can be in the community. Um, and at some point, his family fell into disarray, and then the whole thing sort of came down, and, and something had happened to cause sort of the, the financial demise of the entire family. And I'm not sure if the, parent lo- if the child lost his parents or what, but this, this boy... This actually happened. He found himself um, basically with no hope of becoming what he had been trained to become. And today, when that happens, we think, well, we have a safety net. He'll fall down to our level and we'll all be together. But in the ancient world, um, they had a sense of like, no, I'm not going to make this, this boy feel shame. And so the Hillel community literally gathered together and bought a horse and purchased this boy a horse And when the boy came riding into town, one member of the Hillel community, whoever saw it first, would see him coming and they would run out to meet him and they would run in front of his horse as if they were his servant so that everyone would see him riding in and it would maintain this sense of he's a a nobleman's son and he will not feel the shame of losing what he had expected to become. 
And so whereas we may look at that and think, well, that's, it's silly and it's prideful and it's not right. They looked at it as like, no, it's, it's the right thing. We don't just care about, about this, this boy's, you know, financial situation. We care about his, his identity. We care about his shame. We care holistically about this person. Um, and so this is the kind of thing, these are the kind of things that would happen in these communities. Um, third, giving must be carried out privately and securely. There's one particular story of a, of a rabbi who would walk into the poor areas of Jerusalem and he would carry a money bag and he would put his hand inside of his cloak, his tunic, and he would drop coins into the sand as he's walking by and he would never look back because he never wanted to know who picked it up or who he was helping because he didn't want to have this sense of pride of look at all these people I've helped. Um, it was just a discipline that he would have and he would trust that the money would go to the right place and do the right thing. Um, there was, um, there's, a, there's, there's a place in the temple that's called, I gotta get this right because I, I always say it wrong, it's called the Chamber of the Silent. I kept calling it the Chamber of Secrets. Um, the Chamber of the Silent and it's in the temple and it's through the gates of the, of, of the temple and it's, it's back in the corner. It's sort of a, a dark area of the temple. And in this room, there would be a stand and there would be a box and there would be tables and on the stand, there would be a box. People would put money in it. And on the tables, people would bring supplies, tools, clothing, sandals, um, fruit, vegetables, all of it. And they would, they would put it in this room. And under the dark of night, people who were in need but couldn't bring themselves to reveal their need would come to the temple and they would receive these things in silence and in secret. And it was a way of maintaining um, their dignity um, and we hear this today and we think, well, I mean, pride is a sin. And we like to talk about how people are too prideful to ask for help. Well, they really are. I mean, pride, yes, is a sin, but doesn't the gospel teach us that we're not asked to change? We're not asked to, to uh, rearrange our entire life before we come to Christ and receive grace. We receive it where we are and it begins to change us. And this is how um, it is supposed to be. Um, there should be um, a concerted effort to help people wherever they are, um, despite what put them there, how they got there, find a solution um, to give to them somehow. Um, and so there was, this, um, there was this saying in the ancient world, it's better to give somebody nothing than to give them money and shame at the same time. Um, so the next rule, rule number, uh, rule number four, is similar to rule number two, but it's but it's a variation of it. It says the manner of giving must befit the character and the temperament um, of the recipient. So there was another practice where people who um, were too secretive and, and prideful to ask for help, um, you would approach them and you would say, it looks like you need a loan. And they would say, yes, I do need a loan and I'll pay you back. And you would say, yeah, of course you're going to pay me back. I know you, I trust you. you. I would never think you're the kind of person that wouldn't pay somebody back. Of course, you're an honorable person. You would absolutely pay me back. Have some money. And then it comes time to pay back. And they look at them and they say, oh, you paid that already. That's been paid. And they try to pay back some more. Like, no, I don't think, I think you understand. Here's my record book. And it says here that you don't owe me anything. And they would move on. And nobody around them would know that this person had done this for this other person. Um, this is vastly different than how we tend to help people today. We tend to do the opposite. Whenever we tend to serve people, we bring a camera phone or something, and we take a picture of ourselves who are not in need, 
helping the person who is in need, right? And what we're saying is, look at me, look at what I'm doing for this person. Let this guide how you view me and your image of me. Um, We tend to hold award shows and give out plaques to people and medals and put plaques on the sides of buildings and construct entire buildings and name them after specific people. Um, And then you read the scriptures of the way God's people are, are supposed to act and this actually has no place in it at all. Um, it's, it's absolutely backwards. And then the last point that they had was, the last principle was, all giving is to God. All of it. Everything that you're giving, it's not to this person. They don't owe you anything. You're not giving to anyone but God. Jesus actually uh, confirms this later when he says, people will stand before God and he'll say, thank you for giving to me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was, uh, I was, I was sick and in prison and you visited me and you helped me. Um, and they say, when did I do that? When you did this to other people. And so Jesus is regularly harking back, harkening back to this time when God's people had this way of living that was a lot more in line with the heart of God. But then you come to the first century in which Jesus is actually living, uh, and you read his passages, and you can gleam a lot about what was going on. He starts off in verse, chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Be careful not to do good works in front of others. Don't do them to be seen by others. If you do, your Father in heaven will not reward you. And so there's this... Um, there's obviously something else going on. He talks about the, the good works that you do. Um, don't do them in a way to draw attention to yourself as you're doing them. Um, that's not what this is about at all. And then he starts listing these things out loud, some of the things that they were doing in verse 2. He says, when you give to needy people, do not announce it by having trumpets blown. Don't be like those who openly pretend to be holy. They announce what they do in the synagogue and on the streets. They want to be honored by others. What I'm about to tell you is true. They have received their complete reward. Now, um, so there's, there's a bit of a, a double entendre, double entendre going on here um, that when you look into the context of this passage is fascinating, it's humorous, it's all of it. Um, so there was this, um, hold on, let me see where we're at. I want to get this right. So in the first century, there was a giving box like we have here. We have a giving box there and we have several in the lobby in case you were looking. We have giving boxes. They had giving boxes then too. But it wasn't a box. It was actually um, this animal's horn. horn. It's called the carna. And it, uh, it would sit on a platform, on, on like a little pedestal in the middle of, of, of the, the worship space there. And people would walk up and they would take like a shekel or a dinar or whatever and they would drop it in the horn and it would roll in and you would hear them. They'd hit and they'd make a little noise. Um, and this, this is identical to um, what's called the shofar. Uh, it's made from the same horn of like the same animal. Um, and the shofar is something that the, the priest would stand up three times a day on the roof of the temple and he would blow out loud to call people, time to come worship. Now, oftentimes the shofar and the karna would be the same thing and they'd be sitting there on the platform. Um, and, you know, you pick the money up and pick the thing up and dump the money out and go to the top of the temple and blow and then come back down and set it down. Now, that's that. Jesus says, when you go to give money, don't blow the horn. Put the money in it. This is, this is only about you and your personal action. It has nothing to do with anyone, anything that anyone else sees. It's, it's like, I, don't know, I think it's hilarious. Nobody else thinks it's funny. You walk up, hey, hey, don't blow the horn. Put the money in it. All right? Like it, to me, it's funny. Um, 
whatever, I'll enjoy it myself. Um, And then at the same time, there was this other thing that was happening in their day where the people that I like to call the moral police, every church has them, right? They really care that everyone else's morals are lining up with really theirs, uh, their ideas of what morality is. um, And they run around making sure you know how to pray for so-and-so, right? Um, And they care, they're they're watching and they care, and they're always confronting people and trying to like sort of guide everyone else, like some sort of like sub-shepherd. And they they were going into the temple and they were taking the karna and they were walking out into the streets and they would kind of walk up to somebody there and be like, hey, I, uh, I noticed you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't put anything in. Maybe you forgot. Here you go. I brought it out to you. And the guy's like, thanks. Appreciate it. It's like, and you get that feeling when you're like at Publix, and you're checking out. You're like, would you like to give a dollar to starving children? <laughs> of course I did, would. Of course I would. I was just in here too, remember? And I checked out with you and I, I forgot cheese and so I came back to get cheese. But of course, I'm going to give another dollar. Of course. Because you have to maintain this thing or that's why they ask you in public. Um, because there's this sense of shame that you can receive from not taking part in it. Not only that, they would oftentimes gather, the, the, all the moral police would come together and they'd have impressive beards and expensive clothing that was like, I don't know, like, temple designs on it and stuff, you know, like Christian t-shirts and stuff. And they would stand there, large scrolls, KJV, and they would stand there, and one person would go in to the temple and take the karna and bring it out to the streets. Because if they go in and they put the money in, in the karna, then like, nobody's going to see. They're out in the street and there's lots of people out here. So one person's, I'll go get it. They come in and they bring it out. They say, here you go. And they sort of stand where everybody can see them, and they all take turns once in a while dropping in. Maybe before you do that, they'll even give it a toot or so. Everyone can look at you, and then here you go. Here you go. Thank you. Uh, oh, here's some people in the streets. And they walk around in the streets, and they would get people to put money in it and shame them and basically stand in the public and, and look really religious and then take it back inside. Because there is a sense in which we want people to see us doing good things. How many times, let's all be honest with, 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 with each other and with ourselves, We've all been frustrated at some point or another in doing good and not, and it not being recognized. All of us have. There's always been a time in each and every one of our lives where we've like, I did this thing and like nobody even saw it. Like nobody cared. That's in there. That's in us. That exists. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up in Los Angeles and there was this, uh, I, I went to probably the only Southern Baptist church in Los Angeles. Um, there's not many <laughs> there. Um, and I went to the Southern Baptist Church in Los Angeles, and there was, a, uh, there was a tradition where every week we would do what's called passing the plate. It looks like this, right? Okay, we pass the plate. When our, when our congregational reps say, we don't pass the plate, and you're like, I don't know what that means, and they say it every week. This is what that means. There's like this gold or silver plate, depending on how humble you are. Um, <laughs> And they would, it's got felt to not make too much noise because there's a lady on the stage singing to a cassette track. Um, and you're going to pass it. And it's going to go down and there's going to be ushers, guys, and usually maroon blazers, maybe green, maybe salmon. And they're going to have a name tag. And they've all got honorary doctorates, right? So it's like Dr. Tommy Phillips. And they're like taking the, and they're passing it. And the plate comes by and everyone can see and make out your giving pattern. 
Because everyone, let's be honest, we sit in the same place every week. I know, I can see it. Um, and everyone can see the thing goes by and you drop money in and you make a loud noise on the felt. King, so everyone can see. Um, and it goes on by and everyone gives. Now, one of the things I used to do when I was like 9, 10, 11, I would go help the ushers uh, count the money. And so um, sometimes they would even let me like be there and pass the plate and we'd, get, and we'd go in the back room and we'd sort of dump everything on a big round table um, and we'd start opening up all the envelopes. I was always surprised at how many empty envelopes there were. Always. I want to talk about that because there's something going on there. Okay, there's something going on there. I literally had someone come up to me this morning. Uh, they said, hey, I went to a church uh, for a few years that uh, they passed the plate and you could take a card and it was laminated and it said, I give online. And they would drop it in the thing. Okay, now, I want to talk about that because there's two things happening. One of them is, one of them is like sad and one of them is like kind of offensive. So, um, so, the first thing that's probably happening is, is that people, so there are people who want to be seen giving. We talked about that. That's understandable. I understand. We all want to be seen doing good. We all want a public persona of us. We, we, that is a certain way we want to shape it ourselves in the eyes of other people. Second, um, there, is, there are people who, who wanted to give, but they didn't have the means. They couldn't do it for whatever reason but they didn't want to receive shame. So they take an envelope and they pretend to stuff money in it. They put it down by their purse or their wallet and it comes by and they put the money in and inside of them, they're just trying to cover their shame. Um, This is the opposite of the chamber of the silent. This is the opposite of everything Deuteronomy 15 talks about. This is the opposite of what Jesus is talking about. The church should never be in the business of shaming. The church should never be in the business of um, doing what they can to reveal the service of other people. That is not what a community of Jesus is about. Jesus was actually in the business of setting the table and gathering these people around who had all kinds of things that, that their, their lives were riddled with sin. He would gather them all together and share a meal with them as if they were equals, as if they were the same. Um, it's a totally different thing. Religion is really, really good at shaming people who can't live up to some ethical standard, and it's really good at getting people to hide who they really are as well. Um, by the way, this is... Uh, so when we, were set, like, when we were planning how this church was going to look and how it was going to go, one of the things that, that, I, that we wanted to figure out was this idea of like the chamber of the silence thing. What can we do? Which is why we have specific things in place where um, we don't, again, we don't pass the plate. There's, there's boxes, and if people want to give, nobody can figure out your pattern. If you want to give, you give. If you don't, you don't. If you can, you do. If you can't, you don't. Um, secondly, there is, um, there's like this rotation of money counters that goes for like a month or so, and so nobody has any idea of the giving pattern of anyone. On top of that, we've made sure everyone who is in any position of authority in the church has literally no access to anything having to do with giving. I have no idea who gives and who doesn't. Um, and the only person in the whole church who knows who gives is a treasurer who doesn't come to church here. He lives an hour away. And we hired him to do the books. 
Okay. Because we don't want any part of that. I don't want any of that. If someone is going to give something, it's going to be because it's the kind of person they want to be. And we're going to talk about that. It's a spiritual discipline. We're going to go a little farther here. We're going to look at the rest of this passage. Uh, When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Then your giving will be done secretly. Your father will reward you. He sees what you do secretly. Um, So this verse kind of sees each of you as um, a ruler of a kingdom, which you are, by the way. Each of us has our own kingdom. There is someone around you who looks up to you in one way or another, whether you're the head of a corporation, whether you um, are leadership in any capacity in any, in any group, um, or whether you are a school teacher or, or you just hire people, or even if you're just like a, a mom or a dad, you have children who look up to you. Each of us has a kingdom. And the idea here is that um, rulers of a kingdom have somebody on their right, have somebody on their left. The person on the right, the right hand, is the most trusted servant. And you tell them everything. And that you trust them. And you can send them off to do little things, little jobs. And they'll do it. You trust them to get it done. There's this intimacy that is built up where um, there's lots of things going on, but there's a couple of particular things going on with you and this other right-hand person. And nobody else knows that. Nobody is allowed to be privy to that. And this is true of all of us in our lives. There is, sometimes it's a relationship with someone else, like a spouse or whatever. There is someone else who knows the intimate details of your life. They know the ins and outs of it. There are things that you share with them which you do not ever share with anyone else because they're so um, glorious and, and weighted and meaningful. And you share them with just them, whether it's an action like sexuality or whether it's uh, uh, like um, conversations that you have or thoughts that you have. Um, and then there's these things that just you hold inside of you, um, thoughts in your head, um, fears, doubts, um, bitterness, anxieties, envy. There's these things, or just things, ways you're trying to be healthy, um, the kind of person I want to become, and you're kind of working towards that in your heart. I'm trying to do this less, I'm trying to do this more. I'm trying to become this person, this kind of person, and not be this kind of person anymore. I want to move forward, okay? Now, When any of these things in any of these parts of your kingdom are brought into the open, we all have to admit there's a cheapening of it. It's it's kind of disgusting. Like when somebody brings out, like when you hear people talk about um, like their their specific diet that they're on all the time or um, how often they work out or how like I don't watch TV Ooh, um, I, you know, I, I'm not on Facebook. I don't do this and I don't do this. And, and we, there's these things that we say to each other and we know they told you that not because it's what they do, it's because they want you to know what's what they do or how they think. And then um, you hear people like talk about how much sex they have or just these things that you hear and you're like, well, that's it's kind of disgusting like the way that you're talking about this secret thing in your life. Um, and on top of that, like, there is, it, it cheapens. It cheapens this whole thing. Um, hold on a second. There is this, um, this absolute cheapening of this thing, this thing that is supposed to be special and for you, and this, this thing that you're working towards, and then and you just kind of bring it out, and you're like, have you ever had someone tell you... Um, how much they pray every day? You ever had someone tell you, like, yeah, I spend like I spend like an hour and a half in prayer every day? 
or, oh, I, I go to charities on the weekends and do this, and they start talking about all the wonderful things that you know should be coming from a place of love, um, a place of like intimacy with God and the kind of person they want to be, but then they bring it out into the open, and it's like disconcerting. Like, I don't feel, I don't feel right about that. That's what this is. Um, there is there's this word that Jesus uses when he talks about this. He says in verse 2, it says, Do not be like those who, open, who only pretend to be holy. Now, he uses a word here when it says only pretend. Um, that's a phrase. It's actually one word. It's the word hypocritus. Um, it's where we get a word for hypocrite. Um, a hypocrite today, as we define it today, is somebody who says they, they say one thing and they do another. That's how we define it today. That's not that's an evolution of the word. Like, that's not the accurate meaning of the word. A hypocrite in the first century was a play actor. It was somebody who would put on um, an outfit, stand on a stage, put a mask in front of their face, and recite some lines that were not theirs. Um, in other words, they're dressing up and telling you a story that may or may not be true, may or may not have happened, but they're dressing up and they're telling you a story. And Jesus says, when people act this way, it has nothing to do with the, with the meaning of their heart, with the cries of their heart, and wh- the kind of, like, what's actually going on in their heart and soul, or the health of them, or who they really are. It's what they want you to think. Uh, this sort of, this is in all of us. And social media has brought this to the surface again. This thing that was, like, latent and it was gone um, for a bit. I mean, it was always there, showing up in different ways, but we now have all these new tools to do this. Um, this is one of the things, actually, the discipline of silence does. I, I don't need to manage how you view me. I can be silent. Even when I hear something about myself that is not true, I don't have to correct it. And maybe that can be a little bit of a, a discipline that I practice to say, no, my father sees what I do in secret. There's someone who knows. There's a center at the middle of all of this that knows me. And I'm going to continue to become this kind of person. Um, in fact, there is, a, there is, instead of a shown, um, sometimes a direct correlation, like an inverse correlation between how people present themselves on social media and how their life really is. Um, and oftentimes when you see people, like I had these friends years ago, probably 15 years ago, when they were newlyweds, and every time they were in our presence, they were just like making out, always. It's really uncomfortable. But they were always just like, look how attracted we are to each other. And they were just always making out. Uh, and then one day I went and saw him, and she was gone. I was like, hey, where'd your wife go? He's like, she left me. He said, things have never been good. And then it clicks in your brain what they were doing. It clicks in your head. They're like, they were trying to display something because they're managing their, your view of them the whole time. But the reality of it was far different. And this is what people do. I, I've come to the point now where when I see people start to post lots of scripture online every day, I'm like, oh no, what's wrong? <laughs> because like, if you were fine, if everything was cool, like this would be inside. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying my weird brain, that's what I do. Um, and when people start suddenly posting, like, look how wonderful this person is in my life. They're so wonderful, so wonderful. I'm like, oh, no, they're falling apart. It's not good. I'm going to call them. Um, this is what we do. 
we're managing everyone around us not realizing like there is a reality and a truth and Jesus speaks to that and is regularly reminding you that person is the person that you are and that you should be. And if you want to change something, don't change how people view that person. Change that person. Change, actually change that person. You see, what this is, is giving, generosity, is a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline that started um, in the Old Testament. God gave them a spiritual discipline. He commanded them a law and said, hey, um, we're going to have this law called the first fruits. And if you, it, it's the first 10%, the first 10%, not the last. The first 10% that comes up out of the ground, you're going to take and you're going to take it down to, the ta- down to the temple and you're going to offer it there to be given to the poor. So if you had 100 acres of wheat, the first 10 acres that you plowed, after 10, you would stop and you would gather up the wheat and you would take it to this temple and you'd say, here, this is my first fruits. Um, it's a way of saying, it's two things. It's, it's a way of saying, um, first off, thank you. Everything is a gift. And you take it to the temple and you drop it off there. It, it's, it's also a way of saying, I have faith and trust, not in my own abilities, but in the gifts of God, my provider, Jehovah Jireh. Um, because at any moment in the ancient world, life was very difficult. At any moment, there could be a battle, there could be a fire, there could be... Um, a famine, there could be a tornado. They had the same problems we have, but it could, it could wipe out their crops. And so imagine pulling up your 10% and taking it to the temple and dropping it off, and then a fire rages and destroys the rest of it. Happened all the time. And this was their way of saying, that could happen, but, but the, the person I am first, as a follower of God, as, as the people of God, we are first givers, not receivers. First, that's what we are. We are people who give to the world around us. And so if you were a fisherman, you caught 100 fish, 10 fish. Your first 10 grapes that you picked, your first 10 shekels that you made, 10% of everything that you made, you would first, not the end, the, uh, at the beginning, you would take that, you would take that down to the temple and you would give it. And this was, the whole point of this was not just to, like to fund the temple and stuff, it was a discipline that would turn them into the kind of people that they should have been. Remember last week we talked about this. It is the regular, if you weren't here, you're like, I don't know what that is. It's a regular <laughs> discipline of like, Higher thoughts. Uh, if I have an enemy and I want to learn to love my enemies, as Jesus commands, I'm going to stand, I'm going to stop, I'm going to ponder them, and I'm going to say, Lord, for this moment, I pray for goodness for them, I pray for um, healing for them, um, I pray for good things to enter into their life, I pray that they would know love and grace and mercy and the goodness that you bring into the world. And then they move forward throughout their day. And even if on both sides of that prayer, They were the enemy. And by the way, you've been trained to hate your enemies. You have been indoctrinated to hate people who are against you and against people who are like you. And this is a moment where the spiritual discipline of praying for your enemies, you stop and you rise above it and you pray for goodness for them and love and joy in their lives. And then you move forward, you stop and you do it again. And you stop and you do it again. And what you find is this starts becoming a part of your day and you spend more time in love with your enemies than in hate with your enemies. It's the same thing with giving. Every time you would sit down, they would, they would, they would count up what they had and they would take the first 10% and they would take it down to the temple because they wanted to be a people who were like their God and their God was a giver. Their God gave them life, gave them a universe, gave them everything. Um, when I was a child, so the tithe is, is something that is not commanded for the church today. Believe it or not, I actually had somebody come up after church and say, what do you mean it's not commanded for the church? It's not. If you were told, like, God commands you to give a 10% of, like, they took up a thing that was a truth, and they took it out of context, and they forced it upon you, and they're trying to give you religion. Okay? Um, it is a principle, 
It is a giving principle that many Christians follow. Me and my wife do. My parents do. Her, did her parents did? Growing up, it's we saw. What's what we saw? But it's not a discommand because the fact is the ten percent tithe uh, in the modern day. If you look at the if you look at the first century church in the Book of Acts, uh, what happens is um, they start seeing people in need and they get rid of everything they can and they take all the money and they give it to these people in need and bring them all to the same level. And so oftentimes the tithe is a great way to practice religion, but it robs God of his rightful 90%, which is the rest of everything you own. Everything you own, you are a steward, steward of the kingdom of God, and you are here. How would you, if, if God was hiring you to handle God's money, which is what's happening here, how are you going to spend it? How, how are you going to do the most good? Are you going to think carefully about the things that you're purchasing? Are they going to be beneficial to the world? Are they going to be selfish for you? That shirt costs $5, but how many people are enslaved for that $5 shirt when you could spend the 50 and have a little more equity in the world? Um, and how about your principle of giving? If it, if it is, a daily, if it is a, a daily discipline that you practice, do you ever stop and take a dollar and look at it and say, this, in this moment, I am generous and give that dollar away because we all want to be generous people. Nobody wants to be known as a stingy person. Nobody wants to look at themselves as a stingy person, but honestly, a lot of us are, and we don't want to give to anything. I have a hard time with it, with, with my own struggles with generosity, and you do too. Let's all admit it. But you know how you become a, a generous person? Not by accident. You become a generous person by standing up every day and taking uh, something, some amount of money or something, and just saying, I need to give this away. This is a, a, a discipline that I'm going to practice right now, and I'm going to give it away. And I'm going to do this regularly because uh, five years from now, I want to be a more generous person. One day, I want to I I become that generous person that I've always seen and I've always thought of being. They didn't get there by accident. You think maybe one day you're just going to, when I have a lot of money, I'm going to be a generous person. No, you're not. You're not. You're going to be a stingy person with a lot of money. That's what you will be. Money actually magnifies um, all the problems that are already there. That's all it does. What I tend to find is people that fall into lots of money who didn't grow up with any tend to hold it very, very tightly because they're afraid that one day they're going to be back there again. Whereas those who tend to have no money and they get a little bit, they tend to be very generous with it because they never have another chance to give it away. And the truth is, there, there is this deep sense of purpose and abundance that comes with being a generous person. And so it's a, it's a, it's a spiritual discipline that you should practice. Take some money this week. Take a dollar or five or ten. Stop. Pray a prayer. Give it away. Not so that you can feel really great about what you did for this other person, but because you're a child of God. You bear the name of God. God has given you everything. He's given you breath of life. He's given you a community to worship with. He's, uh, he, he's given you everything. Even his own life. He's given you the spirit. He's given you the church. He's given you, poured out his own flesh and blood for you. That's Jesus. You want to be like Jesus? Give some stuff away once in a while. Stop being stingy. Be generous people. We should be the people the world looks at and says, yes, they are just like Jesus. That they are just like, they are sons of, of their God in heaven. This is the kind of people that they are. That doesn't happen on accident. I want to be a generous person. I know I'm not at all as generous as I should be. 
but I want to be. I know I don't love my enemies as much as I should, but I want to. I know um, there's, there's things in my life that, that you have a hard time saying no to that you should. Well, then we have disciplines like fasting. This is the gift of the spiritual disciplines. This is why we have them, is to get in habits. Uh, we're going to take communion, by the way. Cue communion servers. Go ahead and take the elements and spread around the room. Um, communion is another discipline where we're taking a moment and we're looking at bread and wine and we're singing Jesus in it. It's just bread. It's just grape juice. And we're going to take it and we're going to see Jesus in it for the moment. It's going to be a symbol of God's love for us. And this becomes a discipline that changes the rest of our day. We come to see Christ in the common moments everywhere and we pour ourselves out for other people. Um, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that there's some like big command and, and God's going to be upset with you if you don't start giving. I, I, don't even, I, don't even, I don't even care. What I care about is the kind of people that we are collectively becoming together. Um, I want to be the kind of people that, that are generous. That inside we look at and we can be honest with ourselves and say, I, I, I'm, I'm on the side with God. I'm living from the spirit, not the flesh. And so our communion servers are going to come and gather around. And, and as, we, as we take a moment and we celebrate communion together, let's take a moment in prayer. And let's take a moment and receive the gift of God poured out for us. Take the bread. It's, it's broken. It symbolizes the body of Christ broken for you. Dip it in the wine. It symbolizes the blood of Christ spilled for you. And eat it. Receive it. Um, receive. And then rightfully follow Jesus in pouring out your life to the world around you. Um, and let's pray for some generosity today for our city, for our, there's people in need. Let's be a part of the solution. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. Guide us. Teach us the importance of being disciplined people, of being disciples, disciplined ones. Fashion us in your image every day. Give us new daily regimens that fill us up. Give us new purpose every day. Continue to make us uh, more and more like you. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen. Take some time and talk to Jesus.